Section 2. Part 1, Chapter 1 of An Essay on the Art of Ingeniously Tormenting by Jane Collier. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The following instructions are divided into two parts. This first part is addressed to those who may be said to have an exterior power from visible authority, such as is vested by law or custom, in masters over their servants, parents over their children, husbands over their wives, and many others. The second part will be addressed to those who have an interior power, arising from the affection of the person on whom they are to work, as in the case of the wife, the friend, etc. It would be tiresome, and almost endless, to enumerate every connection under the two foregoing heads. I have therefore taken only a few of the principal ones in each division, and shall begin with masters and mistresses, as in the following chapter. Chapter 1. Instructions to Masters and Mistresses Concerning Their Servants As the intercourse between a master and his man is not so frequent as between a lady and her maid, I shall not direct myself to the former, but only give rules to the latter, and where those rules are practicable for the master, I hope he will be so kind as to convert them to his own use. To scold at and torment all your servants appears, at first sight, to be the desirable thing, but those who study the best method of this amusing art will tell you that it is much better to select out one or two at the most who are proper objects, and who you are sure can feel your strokes. For by this means you may make use of all your bad servants as instruments to plague the good. Be sure on no account to make use of any distinction or ever examine into the true author of any fault or carelessness, unless it be done privately, in order to lay the blame on the wrong person. As, for instance, if you blame Susan, the housemaid, for having done such a thing, and she should say, Indeed, madam, it was not I, but Martha the cook that did it. You must raise your voice, and tell her, that you cannot trouble your head to distinguish among such low wretches, that all servants are careless alike, and if you have any more such accidents in your family, they shall all go. If, on blaming any servant for a fault, she should be able to excuse herself in a manner that ought to be perfectly satisfactory to a reasonable person, you have nothing for it but to say that you will not hear the impertinent discourse of such a wench, that if she cannot hold her tongue, she is no servant for you, and that you have never known a servant guilty of a fault that had pertness and invention enough to make a good excuse for it. Then lament that you do not live in a country where you might be so happy as to be served by mutes. Be sure never to lay the saddle upon the right horse, as being the most certain method of galling. The old saying, twice I did well, and that I heard never, once I did ill, and that I heard ever, must by no means be contradicted by you. For the oftener you give your servant an opportunity to apply it to themselves, the oftener do you make them feel your power. The two foregoing rules are of general use to all your friends and acquaintance. When your servants are sick, you may in earnest be very kind and good to them, as it will greatly contribute towards gaining you the reputation of good nature. And, as it is necessary for your own convenience to restore them to health, in order to make them useful. Besides, you may use them ten minutes the worse for it when they are well, and perpetually upbraid them with your kindness to them when they were ill, as servants, by their way of life, are generally pretty healthy. 
you need not fear that this practice will go very deep towards exhausting your stock of kindness. For you must take care to have a watchful eye, not to be imposed on by sham sickness, and if a servant falls into a lingering disorder, you have nothing to do but directly to turn them away. When you hire a footman, be sure to insist upon it, that he pays so strict a regard to your orders and your way in doing everything, that the least deviation in any point should be a forfeit of his place. This gives frequent opportunities for rating and scolding, for it is but to make your orders impracticable. And then, be sure not to hear one word they can say in their defence, for not having performed impossibilities. Or, you may lay several traps, to tempt them not to adhere strictly to your commands, and make it a matter of offence whether they do or do not. To explain myself in this, let me give you an instance. If you go to visit a friend, in a showery day, when the weather is quite uncertain, you may order your footman to come for you at such an hour, and bid him come without the coach, for you would walk home. If the weather should prove fair, you must for that day lose your diversion. But if it rains, then your sport begins. Should your man, thinking it impossible for you to choose walking in the wet and dirt, contrary to your orders, bring you the coach, you may rate him extremely for not observing your orders. You may tell him, that you did not want his care for your health, nor his wisdom to comment on your directions, that all you wanted in a servant was obedience, that you would not, for a hundred guineas, have had your horses brought out in such a wet evening. If you are in London, you may say you intended to take a chair, but if you are in the country, you must declare that you would rather have walked home two miles through the rain than have had your poor horses so cruelly exposed but it was your misfortune to have such wise people about you that they did not think you knew how to give your own orders. On the other hand, should the footman, fearful of disobeying your commands, come to you in this wet evening without your coach, then may you lament your hard fate in having nothing but fools about you that could not distinguish in common occurrences. If you can once catch a servant in this, or any such like trap, it gives you continual new opportunities of scolding. For, if the fault was the adherence to your commands, you may always to your orders add, But pray remember I am not such a tyrant and a fool as you supposed me to be when you made me walk home in the wet. And if his fault was the departing from the strict letter of your commands, then to your orders you may add, Pray mind what I say to you, and not go according to your own wisdom, as you did when you gave my horses cold by bringing them out in the rain. If you have no children, keep as large a quantity of tame animals as you conveniently can. If you have children, a smaller number will do. Show the most extravagant fondness you possibly can for all these animals. Let them be of the most troublesome and mischievous sort, such as cats, monkeys, parrots, squirrels, and little snarling lapdogs. Their uses for the tormenting your servants are various. In the first place, if they are properly encouraged and never tamed, they will be so liberal of their teeth and claws that the servants will, in general, be bit and scratched all over. Then, if any servant should dare to offend one of these favourites, there is a noble field for scolding and rating them. And one farther use, and not one of the least, of these animals, is to feed them with all sorts of rarities, and give them, I mean the dogs and cats, what your servants would be glad of, while you feed them with the coarsest and cheapest diet that you can get. If you happen to have a very good cook, you must strictly inquire into her temper. If you find her a termagant, as most cooks are, according to Ben Johnson's observation, 
you must give up all hopes of plaguing her. You must then find your enjoyment in the good dinners she dresses for you, and the use she will be of to oppress the other servants. If she should be ever so good a cook, and should happen to be good-tempered, you must not let her escape you, but always send her down word that your dinner was not eatable. It is true, indeed, that by this means you may make her leave the place, and you may lose a good servant, but you are no true lover of the noble game of tormenting if a good dinner or any other convenience or enjoyment can give you half the pleasure as a teasing and mortifying a good industrious servant who has done her very best to please you. But to return to my termagant cook, when you have such a one, then remember you have a jewel. In the first place, make a favourite of her, for be it observed always that the very worst among your servants is to be your greatest favourite. Hearken to all the stories she has a mind to tell you of the rest of the servants, and, if any complaint is made against her, say you disbelieve it, adding that you perceive they are all in a plot against poor Martha the cook, and that they have a mind to distress you by endeavouring to make you part with the only good servant you have, besides intending, you suppose, to poison you with some slut of their own recommending. Your housemaid you have so little intercourse with that I hardly know how to direct your proceedings with regard to her. If you love a clean house, keep a good housemaid, when you can get one, but inquire also concerning her temper. If it is very bad, be sure not to part with her, as she will contribute towards plaguing the other servants. But if she be a very good-natured obliging girl, and ready to assist her fellow-servants, you may tease her about the dirtiness of the house, as I directed with regard to the good-natured cook about her dinners, till you have sent her packing. And you may chance, perhaps, to have better luck with the next. Scolding at all the servants, as before observed, is too common and vulgar a method, nor is it ever used by your true adepts in the art of tormenting. But some pretty good proficients in the science have made a favourite of their own maid, and made her the insolent instrument of worrying the rest. This is a tolerable good method, but, in my opinion, not the very best. To know that all the lower part of your family are persecuted and plagued by a taunting creature of your own tutoring is a pleasant reflection, but yields not half the joy as bringing the game nearer home. If you have a husband, or friend, a toad-eater, or some grown-up children, to exercise your talents on, you may proceed in the above-beaten path, as having work enough already on your hands. You may then be contented to execute your torments on your lower servants, by suffering that proxy, your own woman, to worry them. But, if you have none of the before-mentioned subjects, then most excellent sport will be found from teasing and vexing your own maid, which may be done in the following manner. Let us suppose that you have just hired Mrs. Jenny to be about your own person. Suppose her, also, to be a clean, well-looking, good-natured girl. Be very kind to her for about a week, that you may raise her expectations of leading an easy, quiet life, for, in a judicious disappointment, lies half the art in every connection whatever. When Jenny is satisfied by your kind behaviour that you are very well disposed towards her, begin some familiar discourse with her, and draw her on to a freedom of speech that, without such encouragement, would never have come into her head. Then fly all at once into a violent rage with her. Call her saucy, pert, and impudent, upbraid her with being sprung from an unghill, and blame yourself for conversing with so low a wretch. Always scold at her. If she is the least undressed or dirty, and say you cannot bear such beasts about you. If she is clean and well dressed, tell her that you suppose she dresses out for the fellows, 
for the wenches of this age are so forward that the men can hardly be quiet for them. Order her to call you in a morning, and, although she comes in ever so softly, fall into a violent passion, because she made such a noise as to startle you suddenly out of your sleep. If she ever does anything extremely well to please you, as wash your finest lace, or make up your cap, etc., you may commend her very highly for it, once but no more, for you must on no account ever afterward fail to find fault with her, although it be done ever so well, and always to your finding fault add a reproach, how well it was done such a time, and how much he then commended her for it. But commendations and praises ever spoil the best servant in the world, it was owing, you may say, to the baseness and ingratitude of servants, that you was forced to put a restraint upon your own natural temper, which prompted you to all sorts of kindnesses and indulgences, yet your hard case was such, that you could not so much as commend a wench for ironing a cap, but she presently grew careless, and good for nothing upon it. Remember always to tease and soothe her so alternately, that she will be vastly puzzled, whether to be pleased or displeased with her place, but whenever you have been pretty free with your torments, you must talk of leaving off some old gown, or of some great person's coming to your house, or, in some other manner, endeavour to awaken her interest, so that she may not leave you. When you are in a high good humour and familiarity with her, you may say that you are not one of those mistresses who never think of diverting their poor servants, and that you intend, therefore, the next day, to take her abroad with you, if in London, to see sights, etc., or, if in the country, to walk or go upon the water with you, or any other way that may come into your head. Your condescension, in making her your companion, will greatly elate her spirits, and your kindness will fill her heart with grateful pleasure. You cannot rob her of the joy she will have in the expectation of this promised favour, but the higher that is raised, the greater will be her disappointment when, the next morning, you contrive to keep her so fully employed, till the moment you are setting out, that it will be impossible for her to get herself ready. Then, fly into the highest rage imaginable with her, for making you wait but by no means leave her behind, for that stroke she will soon recover by amusing herself with her fellow servants, and being rid of your scolding. Take her, therefore, with you, and lecture her all the way, on her baseness and ingratitude, in plaguing you in such a manner, in return for your intended kindness. Don't suffer her, the whole day, to look up or say her very soul is her own, so that in the midst of this pleasant expedition, taken, as you may tell her, by you, out of pure good nature, to please a dirty wench, she may wish to her soul that she was at home, either in the wash-house or the scullery, performing the most laborious offices in the lowest station in the family. But let us suppose the patience of your miserable object quite exhausted, and that she is worked into a proper indifference about pleasing you, so that you should find that she minded very little what you said to her, only, considering yours as a profitable place, that she was resolved to bear all your tricks, for the sake of your money, then part with her directly, and get another, for all the pleasure of tormenting is lost as soon as your subject is become insensible to your strokes. End of section two.